This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ted Nugent. The Mysteries of Udall Four by Anne Radcliffe, Volume Four, Chapter Fifteen. Sweet is the breath of vernal shower. The bees collected treasures sweet, sweet music's melting fall, but sweeter yet, the still small voice of gratitude. Gray. On the following day, the arrival of her friend revived the drooping Emily, and Lavonlet became once more the scene of social kindness and of elegant hospitality. Illness and the terror she has suffered has stolen from Blanche much of her sprightliness, but all her affectionate simplicity remained. And though she appears less blooming, she was not less engaging than before. The unfortunate adventure on the Pyrenees had made the Count very anxious to reach home, and after a little more than a week's stay at La Vonlay, Emily prepared to set out with her friends for Languedoc assigning the care of her house during her absence to Teresa. On the evening preceding her departure, this old servant brought again the ring of Valancourt, and with tears entreated her mistress to receive it, for that she had neither seen nor heard of Monsieur Valancourt since the night when he delivered it to her. As she said this, her countenance expressed more alarm than she dared to utter. But Emily, checking her own propensity to fear, considered that he had probably returned to the residence of his brother, and again, refusing to accept the ring, bade Teresa preserve it till she saw him, which, with extreme reluctance, she promised to do. On the following day, Count de Vinfort, with Emily and the Lady Blanche, left La Vonlay, and on the ensuing evening arrived at the Chateau Le Blanc, where the Countess, Henry, and Monsieur Dupont, whom Emily was surprised to find there, received them with much joy and congratulation. She was concerned to observe that the Count still encouraged the hopes of his friend, whose countenance declared that his affection had suffered no abatement from absence, and was much distressed when on the second evening after her arrival, the Count, having withdrawn her from the Lady Blanche, with whom she was walking, renewed the subject of Monsieur Dupont's hopes. The mildness with which she listened to his intercession at first deceiving him. As to her sentiments, he began to believe that her affection for Volancourt being overcome, she was at length disposed to think favourably of Monsieur Dupont, and when she afterwards convinced him of his mistake, he ventured in the earnestness of his wish to promote what he considered to be the happiness of two persons, whom he so much esteemed, gently to remonstrate with her on those suffering an ill-placed affection to poison the happiness of her most valuable years. Observing her silence and the deep dejection of her countenance, 
he concluded with saying, I will not say more now, but I will still believe, my dear Mademoiselle St. Aubert, that you will not always reject a person so truly estimable as my friend Dupont. He spared her the pain of replying by leaving her, and she strolled on, somewhat displeased with the Count for having preserved to plead for a suit which she had repeatedly rejected, and lost amidst the melancholy recollections which this topic has revived, till she had insensibly reached the borders of the wood that screened the monastery of St. Clair, when, perceiving how far she had wandered, she determined to extend her work a little further, and to inquire about the abbess and some of her friends among the nuns. Though the evening was now drawing to a close, she accepted the invitation of the friar who opened the gate, and, anxious to meet some of her old acquaintances, proceeded towards the convent parlour. As she crossed the lawn that sloped from the front of the monastery toward the sea, she was struck with a picture of repose exhibited by some monks sitting in the cloisters, which extended under the brow of the woods that crowned this eminence, where, as they mediated at this twilight hour, holy subjects, they sometimes suffered their attention to be relieved by the scene before them, nor thought it profane to look at nature. Now that it had exchanged the brilliant colors of day for the sober hue of evening, before the cloisters, however, spread an ancient chestnut whose emblem branches were designed to screen the full magnificence of a scene that might tempt the wish to the worldly pleasures. But still, beneath the dark and spreading foliage gleamed a wide extent of ocean and many a passing sail. Why, to the right and left, thick woods were seen stretching along the winding shores, so much as this has been admitted, perhaps, to give to the secluded watery an image of the dangers and vicissitudes of life, and to console him, now that he had renounced its pleasures, by the certainty of having escaped its evils. As Emily walked pensively along, considering how much suffering she might have escaped, had she become a votaress of the order and remained in this retirement from the time of her father's death. The vessel bell struck up, and the monks retired slowly towards the chapel, while she, pursuing her way, entered the great hall, where an unusual silence seemed to reign. The parlour, too, which opened from it, she found vacant, but as the evening bell was sounding, she believed the nuns had withdrawn into the chapel and sat down to rest for a moment before she returned to the chateau, where, however, the increasing gloom made her now anxious to be. Not many minutes had elapsed before a nun, entering in haste, inquired for the abbess and was now retiring without recollecting Emily when she made herself known and then learned that the mass was going to be performed for the soul of Sister 
of Yi, who has been declining for some time, and who was now believed to be dying. Of her sufferings, the sister gave a melancholy account, and of the horrors into which she had frequently started, but which has now ended to a dejection so gloomy that neither the prayers in which she was joined by the sisterhood or the assurances of her confessor had power to recall her from it or to cheer her mind even with the momentary gleam of comfort. To this relation, Emily listened with extreme concern and recollecting the frenzied manners and the expressions of horror which she had herself witnessed of Agni, together with the history that Sister Frances had communicated. Her compassion was heightened to a very painful degree. As the evening was already far advanced, Emily did not now desire to see her or to join in the mass and after leaving many kind remembrances with the nun for her old friends, she quitted the monastery and returned over the cliffs towards the chateau, meditating upon what she had just heard, till, at length, she forced her mind upon less interesting subjects. The wind was high, and as she drew near the chateau, she often paused to listen to its awful sound as it swept over the billow that beat bellow or groaned along the surrounding woods. And while she rested on a cliff at a short distance from the chateau and looked upon the wide waters seen dimly beneath the last shade of the twilight, she thought of the following address. To the Winds Viewless through heaven's vast ball, your course is dear, unknown from whence you come or whither go. Mysterious powers, I hear your murmur low, till swell your loud gust on my startled ear, and awful seem to say some god is near. I love to list your midnight voices floats in the dread storm that over the ocean rolls, and, while their charm the angry wave controls, mixed with sullen roar and sink remote, then, rising in the pause a sweeter note, the dirge of spirits who your deeds bewail, a sweeter note of swells, while slips the gale, but soon your power, sightless powers your rest is over, solemn and slow, you rise upon the air, speak in the shrouds, and beat the sea boy fear, and the faint wobble dirge, it is heard no more. Oh, then I deprecate your awful rain, the loud lament it, be not on your breath, be not the crash of bark, far on the main. Be not the cry of men who cry in vain. The crew's dread chorus sinking into death. Oh, give not this, your powers I ask alone. As rapt I climb these dark romantic steeps, the elemental war, the billows mourn, I ask 
the still sweet tear that listening fancy weeps. End of volume four, chapter fifteen.